We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Dark and sad day on Rams Talk Radio. To say we're disappointed is an understatement. I'm Steve Rivero here with Johnny Gomez. Johnny, I'll let you start. What are your initial thoughts on the Los Angeles Rams re-debut? I went into work the other day, and after that horrible, horrible game, I basically laughed it off because I work with a bunch of Raider and 49er fans. And said, as far as I'm concerned, the Rams didn't play on Monday. And uh, not too far from the truth. They really didn't show up to play. Everything was chaotic. And in the end, they just looked awful. Yeah, after the last 12-ish years, we're kind of used to it. They had the worst week one performance out of any team. It's kind of undebatable. They looked awful. There's very, very few passes out of this game. They looked brutal. Their offense couldn't get 10 yards to save their life. It's seven, three and outs. It's bad. We don't look very good. And yeah, I kind of just, yeah, you got to laugh it off and move on with your life and hope for the best. But we look bad. We'll start with the offense. First, any positives that we take from this? Kenny Britt actually didn't look terrible. No, he didn't. In fact, he did pretty well. Just as a whole, the offense 
looked bad. Even Todd Gurley didn't really perform, and who could perform with the offensive line just collapsing like that? This wasn't the offensive line we were expecting. Really awful all around, but if I were to say there was at least one thing to take away from this, is that Kenny Britt actually looked like he did a pretty solid job, and hopefully he can remain consistent. That's kind of the basic thing that he needs to do is consistency. Yeah, Kenny Britt looked good. Him and Case Keenum had a good chemistry, which long-term doesn't really mean jack shit. But for now, they look good. I think Kenny will be fine whenever the new quarterback steps in. Todd tried, man. He still managed to get like a 74 grade from PFF, which is decent. He broke seven tackles, but he breaks a tackle and he's still behind the line of scrimmage. What the hell do you want the guy to do? He got no space. He had one rush for 10 yards, and that was about the highlight of his day. When you've got a stud like this, you have to move the pile. And unfortunately, because of how bad the passing game is, San Francisco just stacked the box, and there was no hope for Gurley to move around. Yeah, I mean, overall, the the offense just looked very uninspired. It didn't even look like they had even practiced at all. It, it, it looked very unorganized. Really, this, this is concerning as the season goes on. Yeah. The whole team, and that's on Fisher, they didn't look ready to play. In the second half, the defense played better, but in the first half, they had their moments, but they still looked sloppy overall. The offense was just an absolute mess. They weren't ready to play. As for Case Keenum, we've been on record saying that we thought he was fine. I think we were wrong. He did not look good at all. Yeah, to to attest to that, overall, I think the... With Keenum, he just saw the entire offense collapse. They played much better in the preseason. I don't know what the heck happened. It was a combination of just poor coaching and just very awful execution. So, Case, I I don't blame the entire game on him for sure. I blame more of the coaching staff than anything. You can't blame Case for everything. But he did make some bad plays. It's not entirely on him. The line played bad. They didn't give him too much help. The receivers didn't give him help. Him and Tavon had no chemistry, whether that's more Tavon's fault or Case's fault. We don't really know. Brian Quick is still a starter, so that does not help Case Keenum in the slightest. But, it, it, you know, he didn't look great. He had two picks. One was a tip pass, but that pick in the third quarter, that was that ended the game. After that, the defense just gave in. That pick, yeah. was, that pick was brutal. Yeah, it definitely was the final blow to the, to the offense. <laughs> they just kind of... It, it was it was kind of sad because they were rallying. They were driving down the field, and it looked like they may have actually had a chance to score. And Well, that ended up in a pick, and that was the game. Yeah, I felt for the defense there because they were hit and miss in the first half, but they came out on fire in the second half. Those first four drives, four straight three and outs, they looked like the defense reaching its potential. I won't say what we expected because we knew that the holes that were exposed in the first half were there. But in the second half, this defense showed you how good they could be. Aaron Donald was playing out of his mind until he got fed up with everything and got himself ejected. But they looked good. They were putting pressure on. They were stopping the run. And the offense finally got some momentum, and they threw it away. And you could just tell the defense was done after that. Yeah, no no question. Like we said, the defense looked good in the second half. But in the first half, you saw their holes. They cut a key mayor's. And they didn't bring in another linebacker to replace him. They went with five DBs. And with Mark Barron, that's basically six DBs on the field at most times. I know he's a good pass rusher. He's a good player in general. But when you have four linemen and a middle linebacker and then basically all DBs, the 
run is hard to stop, and that showed. Carlos Hyde had a pretty good first half. Blaine Gabbert ran all over us a couple times. We'll start with that. Do you think the run defense will improve once the players adjust to the new-ish system? It depends what you mean. As far as the defensive line goes, they're going to continue to do their thing. Defensive line looked really, really solid. I know some have looked at the rushing yards and attribute that to the defensive line. That was not the defensive line's fault. In fact, the defensive line did a very solid job in a lot of points in the game, you know, when the defense was out there for, you know, just a little bit of time. When the offense finally was driving, you could see it. Even in the second half at the beginning, the defense was rejuvenated and they seemed motivated. They were out of the gates, stopped the run, stopped Gabbard. At the end of it all, it just it boiled down to the defensive line being tired. They can't keep it up all game. That's not what they're supposed to be doing all game long. They're supposed to be able to have help. And this defensive scheme, it's not helping. It, it helps a bit in the passing game. But to tell you the truth, that didn't even help that much either because this is the type of defensive scheme that you want to see if you have – a great number of good cover corners and, you know, covering safeties as well. And that's just not the case with this team. LaMarcus Joyner being probably one of our best cover corners and he was struggling big time. So I, I don't know what possessed Jeff Fisher and Greg Williams to go this route. I, I don't know if they just lacked the faith in Akeem Ayers, but it was truly evident that Akeem Ayers was missed. Absolutely. I think the defensive line could have played a little bit better. They didn't get the pass rush that we expected them to get, but you can't blame them for the running because that's just the fact that you took away a linebacker and replaced him with a safety. Alec Ogletree is a good player, but he can't make every single tackle, and once a running back gets past that front four, it's all DBs and Alec Ogletree. Without Ayers there, he's not that great of a player, but he's a solid player, and you need linebackers. You need big bodies to stop that run. And with the passing game... It theoretically should help, but this team desperately needs EJ Gaines to play. They miss Janoris Jenkins out there. Cody Sensible is awful. LaMarcus Joyner struggled. They need Gaines to fill that spot. They need him healthy, and hopefully he could look like he did his rookie year. Because Joyner is disappointing, and Sensible is just, we knew from the get-go he's not good, and he didn't look good at all. Yeah, Sensible needs to be really, really deep in the depth chart. Ideally, he shouldn't be on this team. <laughs> Agreed. But considering... Our, our secondary options, we don't have much of a choice. And the fact that he was just being torched all game long, it, it's just extremely evident that he doesn't belong as a starter. And, you know, we, we can't, as you said, we can't wait to get EJ Gaines back. This team needs Gaines bad. I think we're both on the same page. They didn't need to bring back Janoris Jenkins, but the fact that they didn't bring anyone in means they have a lot of faith in Gaines and they need him healthy moving forward to resemble a secondary because even yeah. even when Tremaine Johnson and McDonald had good games the rest of the holes were exposed because they're just so thin on that depth chart. Janora was one of the reasons why the secondary was pretty decent last season but I definitely agreed with the Rams not going after Jenkins not giving him that ridiculous contract but at the same time they needed to look for a better option than Cody Sensabaugh. The, the idea, quite frankly, was pretty insulting that they were trying to keep Sensabaugh in as a starter 
you know, there, no way he's going to replace a spot that Janoris Jenkins was holding. No. He's, he looked awful. He was getting destroyed every time that they threw to him. Yeah, and they sought him out. They sought out uh, Joyner. Yeah. He knew that he was going to make boneheaded penalties, and he did. Joyner didn't look good in hard knocks and then didn't look good in the game. And then Fisher begging him to stay, that just uh, that that pissed me off more than anything. Fisher did not have this team prepared. The Hard Knocks people deserve an Emmy because they made this team look decent, and then that happened. Yeah, the Hard. I mean, I mean that's their job. They they have to make you know the teams look good. But I never, you know, I was I was thinking about this as the game was going on, watching Lamarcus Joyner play, and I was looking at him play, and I'm like, was Fisher serious when he said that he felt that Joyner was the best cover corner on the team? Because <laughs> I think that's bull. Like that's that, definitely that, bull. That was seven and nine bullshit thinking right there. That was definitely seven and nine bullshit. I wish we saw seven and nine bullshit on Monday, but we didn't even no, get that, that close. I would have prayed for seven and nine I would have loved bullshit. some seven and nine bullshit. Yeah, Tremaine Johnson is clearly the best cover corner on the team. Jordan was – he's not this bad. He looked bad, but he was better last year, and hopefully – when they have EJ Gaines there to take some pressure off him, he'll look more like his old self. One thing that really bothered me in this game was some of the boneheaded penalties, and by team captains nonetheless. Todd Gurley got that big fourth down and then chucked the ball at the defender in front of him, set us back, and then Case Keenum threw a pick like the next play. And then when the defense finally got a stop in the first half, Aaron Donald got a blatant late hit on Blaine Gabbert. You know, they're both passionate. They're both struggling with the rest of the team around and not doing well, but these guys are captains. They can't be making plays like that. Gurley, uh, I kind of attribute that him, to him being very young. We forget because of how skilled this guy is. He's only a second-year guy. I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt just because he's the second-year guy. He's making boneheaded decisions. As hopefully, anyway, as he matures, he'll you know, think a little bit more responsibly because that that truly killed uh, momentum that that could have led to some points. As far as Gurley goes, he does need to he does need to think like a leader, and he and he clearly wasn't. In terms of Aaron Donald, I have to say I was I was understanding of Aaron Donald. A lot of people were pretty harsh on Aaron Donald, but if you really look back as to why he attacked um, Will Patton. I have to say, if I was in the same situation, I would have probably made the same the same uh, move. Smart, no, but uh, was it deserving? I kind of think so. Did Did you see why he attacked Will Patton? I actually wasn't sure why he directly like hit him. I know he was going after one of the Rams. Well, if you really look at the film, Will Patton was was you know jawing away, which you know what happens on the field. Obviously, the best thing to do is to kind of look the other way, but I was noticing that Will Patton was had his face mask on the helmet of Aaron Donald, and like you know, if you really look at the at the replay, Aaron Donald was trying to get him off him, like dude, you know, back up a little bit, and you you can even see like he tries to grab the back of his neck to kind of you know get him away from him, and then uh, I don't know what was said, I wasn't there. I would have loved to have heard, but uh, after a while, Aaron Donald just got sick of it, and, well, he, sh- he shoved him in the face, and the helmet went flying. Me, personally, I don't understand why a guy like Will Patton is going to try and do that to a guy like Aaron Donald. Uh, not a good guy to mess with. 
not a good guy to mess no, with. No, he would have gotten rocked. In this particular case, I can understand Donald. In a more close and important game, he can't be doing that because he has to face this franchise. But he was tired. He was angry. He was playing his ass off, and nobody was helping him. And then this little dude on the 49ers is getting in his face. He's going to shove him. And him slamming his helmet just showed me that this guy was just pissed off at that his team did not show up in the slightest. He didn't get the memo that they weren't going to play today. And he's one of the only guys that actually went out there and played and had a good game. He's still the all-pro that we know and love. He's still a great player. And I'm glad that he got this out of his system because moving forward, if this game was just a fluke and not signs of what the rest of the season is going to look like, he can't be doing that in close and competitive games. Yeah, for sure. I, I hear that. And I'm sure Aaron Donald kind of realizes that now. He kind of uh, apologized for his actions earlier, uh, or later, rather. I, I think he's aware of it now. He looks back at it, thought it was pretty stupid. But, you know, heat of the moment, heat of the game, frustration let out. And like you said, he was playing his ass off while the rest of the team wasn't. So as far as Donald goes, I'm not really concerned about it. I was mainly concerned that he was going to get suspended. And thankfully, the league has decided not to yeah, suspend him. Yeah, luck out there. Yeah, we can't afford losing quite possibly our best player on the team. No, definitely our best player, I'd say. Although Todd is a close second, but after last night, you can't really argue that it was Donald. I'll accept that for sure. So moving forward, they have the Seahawks in the home debut next week. We'll just start with this. Do you think that this was more of a fluke or more of a sign that the Rams literally might be the worst team in the NFL this year? I think it was more of a sign that it was just that the Rams were not ready, that the Rams tried to change a way too much in a very short period of time. It was very obvious that the coaching staff was not organized, and it was just a very poor time to change a lot of things around. As far as do I think that this is a terrible team? No, I think we have a lot of, a lot of talent on this team. It's just a, quite possibly the most poorly coached team in the league if they continue on this path. Absolutely. Jeff Fisher needs to go sooner than later. I don't know why he's still there. They have too much talent to be this bad every week. But that offense looked brutal. And if they don't fix that offense, they're not going to win games like at all. The defense is good. The defense is not going to be 28 to nothing bad every week. There's no way. And we saw on a couple drives, how good they were. But when you put the other team in four straight three and outs and your offense just gives you absolutely nothing in return and you're just back on the field in three plays, back on the field in four plays, you finally set them up with good field position on a special teams play and your quarterback just throws a ridiculous interception. The 49ers aren't that good. And when you play better teams, it could be worse. We know the Rams are the flukiest team in the world under the Jeff Fish era. They'll probably go out and beat Seattle because that's just what they do because they make no sense. It's going to be interesting. If this offense doesn't look any better, it's hard to imagine them winning more than four games, honestly. And I think that if Keenum looks equally bad next week, we're going to see Goff sooner than later. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. As far as Fisher goes, he, he does need to leave. It is a very fluky team. I've seen them win some of the most unbelievable teams out there, some of the most talented teams out there, only for them to lose to a team like the 49ers. And yeah. The 49ers are not a good team. And it, it, it even showed. Like, it even showed during that game. 
in reality, the 49ers probably should have won by 63 to nothing. Oh, yeah. Just just by how awful the Rams played. But they only won 28 to nothing, which sounds like a thrashing, and it is. But considering how poorly the 49ers played, they, they could have it could have been a lot worse. In terms of Seattle, for whatever reason, the Rams, at least in the past two past two years, I'll say, that's like the Super Bowl. They show up to play against the Seattle Seahawks. It's what the Rams do, which I'm happy because I'm not uh, I'm not a huge Seahawks fan, I have to admit. But I think as far as playing the Seahawks, I think we have a good chance. I think being back in a home environment will do them some good. You know, I'll be at the game also, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what, what they play like, you know, back in the Coliseum. They need to play strong against Seattle and they always do but we haven't looked that bad in a long time like you said 28 to nothing we got lucky if that was a good offense and a better quarterback they would have trashed us in the first half luckily Blaine Gabbert left a little bit on the table and although it was a bad beating it could have been a lot uglier so we'll see how they come out against Seattle you never know with this team they always play Seattle tough I browse Reddit this week, and I see Seahawks fans like, oh, the Rams are the worst team in the league. Can't wait for to lose to them next week because it's just how it goes for some strange reason. And in the home debut, hopefully the crowd on their side, hopefully they make a lot of adjustments on offense and put this team in a better place. But Case Keenum and the receiving core not being good, it's just a lot of concerns. Yeah, as far as Keenum goes, I one thing I, I've, I've agreed with Fisher this whole season is not starting Jared Goff. The last thing he needs to do is be on a stretcher outwards just because the offensive line couldn't block and he was just not ready for in-game NFL action. So I agree with him there. If Keenum just looks outright terrible like he did in this game, I think they're still going to roll with, with Keenum. But if it were up to me, I would probably try my luck with Mannion. I, I know I know a lot of people won't agree with me just because you know everyone wants to see Jared Goff ball, but he's just not ready. It was very evident, and I don't know if he can do better than Case Keenum. You have Mannion, who you know we drafted pretty early in the third round, so why why squander his talents? It's obvious in the preseason that you know he has some talent. I, I definitely think he has more capability than that of Keenum. Uh, maybe not so of Goff when, when Goff's actually ready, but I think Mannion, I would roll the dice with Mannion, say, why not? What do we got to lose? Especially if we're, you know, putting in performances like this past game. I want to see Goff, but I totally agree with you. If they feel like he's not ready, just because Case Keenum's not looking good, you just throw Mannion in there. Why the hell not? And I think that later on the line, maybe at the bye week, if they really are not a good football team, then after the bye, you throw Goff in and you see what happens. Let him get some experience. The pressure will be off if they're not competing at all. But early on, if they if Keenum's not good, you might as well play Mannion. He had potential, and he showed it in that first preseason game. I know it was against scrubs and backups, but he dominated. So do you think that Goff is going to see the field at any point this year or no? I do. I think you'll see probably towards the second half of the year. But as far as him going into uh, the first half of the year, I think it would be a mistake. You know, set some time with Chris Winkie. 
I think that's what what's best for him at this point. He needs a lot of work still. It, I know we really want to see Goff just because of how much we invested in him, but we got to give him some time. It would do him no good if we throw him out there and he's looking like Ace Keenum and potentially worse. The fan in me wants Goff to play as soon as possible, but the reasonable person in me definitely agrees with you unless there's some great progress that we didn't see because of practice. If we're not good, I would love to see him after the bye week. I think why not throw him in there, let him get some reps. It's the best way to learn. And right now, I I don't think we'll be as bad as we looked that game, but I can't really see us being in a position to compete come the bye week. No. And, and this game against the Seahawks will definitely determine how good we're gonna be. If yeah. we if we struggle, heck, if we're if we're thrashed by the Seahawks like we were against the 49ers, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at that point, just throwing golf. Why why not? He needs to learn at some point. Definitely. But I will give Fisher, and I know you gave him credit, I will give him credit on that. Goff would have gotten destroyed against that 49ers defense based because of how little anyone was playing around him. But he does have a bigger arm than the other quarterbacks. He could open up the field a bit. And I think once he gets a better grasp on this playbook, you got to throw him in there and let him adjust to real-time defense. The game is fast, and you don't learn the fast-paced game in practice. You got to get your reps in the game. That's very true. Our opponent this week, the Seattle Seahawks, had not a good showing at all either, but they squeaked out a win against the Dolphins, who kind of blew that game near the end. Seattle had no life on offense until the last drive and managed to get down there. They won the game, so it's not as publicized as it should be. But like we said, the Rams, do you think that's more of a sign of things to come or more of a fluke? Well, as far as the Seahawks go, I do think the Dolphins are a bit underrated just a tad. I won't say that they're a Super Bowl winning team or anything, because they're not. But defensively, I think they're a pretty solid team. Definitely. Offensively, they're, well, they're the Dolphins. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit of a shock that the Seahawks kind of struggled. And really, they, as you said, they, they kind of got lucky in that game because the, the Dolphins themselves kind of blew the game for themselves. As far as the Seahawks... They're, they're not a great team. This isn't the same Seahawks team that we've seen in the Super Bowl in recent years. Offensively, as you said, not a very good team. Russell Wilson, I mean, he, he looked like he was lost out there. There, there wasn't much he could do. Uh, the offensive line was, was even worse than I remembered last year. And, of course, the missing link in uh, Marshawn Lynch, it, it was felt. It was very obvious that they they relied really heavily on Marshawn Lynch. Him being gone this year, it, it really hurt the offense a lot. So it, it really depends on what defense shows up. If we see the same tired defense as the 49ers, the Rams defense should be all over this team. Especially, you know, one, one of the players that I remember directly attacking Russell Wilson is William Hayes. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what he does. Again, a kind of depleted offensive line of the Seahawks. As far as offensively for the Rams, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I think that they will have the struggles, especially in the secondary, going against the Legion of Boom. Hopefully they can block for Gurley because Gurley, he, he can do some damage, especially up, uh, up the middle, I think. I think there's a lot of variables in Seattle as to whether they're going to be a team that makes a deep playoff run or whether they're going to be a team that goes 
eight and eight, nine and seven, and misses the playoffs. Like you said about the line, they're weak. They're they weren't great last year, but they kind of flew under the radar. They didn't get any better, and they lost their running back. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. The Rams, if the Rams defense played like they did in the third quarter of that 49ers game, they could get at Wilson. He's injured, and this might be a game, especially with how bad the Rams looked last week, this might be a game where they just give Russell a break, although I don't see that being likely, but it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. But I think their defense is still strong. I think the Rams' offense will struggle a little bit, and if they can't get any passing attack going, that defense might eat up Gurley. I think they need Thomas Rawls to look like he did in that tiny sample size he had last year where he looked like a stud. The run, I don't think the running back by committee is going to cut it. I think it was more of a fluky thing for them. The Dolphins' defense is underrated. I would still pick them to go to the playoffs. But, yeah, there's definitely cause for concern there. And I think if the Rams could get 14 points on the board, they have a legitimate chance of beating this team. But can they get 14 points on the board? Who knows? That statement right there, that is the epitome of what the Rams are looking at right now. The fact that we are praying for 14 points says a lot. And, and quite frankly, it, it's it's insulting. It's not a team that's built to compete from behind. Like When we got down 14 nothing in that game, how bad we were playing aside, I was just kind of like, I don't trust Case Keenum to bring us back from a 14 nothing deficit. They have to get a touchdown early and then kind of manage the game, especially when he's the quarterback, because he's not going to beat anyone with his arm. He's going to play conservative. Usually he doesn't throw too many bad picks. Last week was different. Hopefully we get last year's Case Keenum, who doesn't make as many mistakes. Unless Gurley breaks big runs like he did last year, it's sad, but that's kind of what the offense is dependent on to get points on the board. Yeah, we need we need Gurley to basically pat, uh, you know face the entire defense because Offensive line didn't look like they were going to block anyway. I think in particular the tight ends, you know, were, were kind of worthless. Lance Kendricks isn't known as the best blocking tight end, but, man, he looked incredibly useless out there. Mm-hmm. And and we kind of figured what we were getting that with Tyler Higby. He needed some help with blocking, you know, out of college. But, man, they were literally useless bodies being tossed around everywhere. They need to help the line. The line needs to get a slight push up front to help out Gurley. And I think that kind of went under the radar about Gurley in general on his rookie year. He ran up the middle and just kind of got stuffed a decent amount. He got so many yards because two, three, and in good games, four or five times a game, he would just break through and bust out a 20-yard or longer run. I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure he led the league in 20-yard runs. And that's what really pushed him to being the third-leading rusher in the league. So when he doesn't get those, he struggles. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I do recall a lot of times that Todd Gurley just, you know, was, was stuffed. But at the at the same time, I do recall, you know, better blocking. And we, yeah. we, we need that. We need better blocking. We, we need to demand more from our offensive line because uh, they're too talented for them to just give up like that. Absolutely. And I think one of our concerns in the preseason was we knew the line has potential, but they're young. They got a lot of inexperience and they're relying on guys that haven't necessarily proven themselves to be good linemen. They've had moments, but they're shaky and that showed in week one. And hopefully they just continue to improve. And as the year goes on, they get more and more protection for Gurley and he can pile up more and more yards. 
Hey, speaking of bad offenses, Sean Hill won a game without getting any offensive points or any production. <laughs> that's that's true. It, that, that's that's the Sean Hill I remember. I guess it could be worse for Gurley because when Sean Hill is playing quarterback, AP can only get 30 yards wow. on 19 carries. So I think they're excited to get Bradford in the lineup, that's for sure. Well, considering it's Bradford or Sean Hill, yeah, I'd yes. be really excited for Bradford. Hell, I'd be excited, very excited that Bradford was our quarterback right now. Oh, geez. That, I really regret trading Bradford for Holes, even though I was happy about it at first. Yeah, you know, in hindsight, as of now, I I know we still – I still like Goff as a prospect. But if we could have had Bradford and all the picks we traded for Jared Goff, I think the team would be in a better place. Oh, without a question. Without a question. Yeah. Which uh, I was never, I mean, to tell you the truth, I wasn't a fan of either Wentz or Goff. No, and, no. Yeah, I, I was really disappointed when they made that trade. And I, I was I was a Wentz guy myself. I was hoping for Wentz. Didn't happen. I was more Goff. I know we've debated on that. Wentz did look good, by the way. But I just didn't feel like either of these guys, I think they're decent prospects, but they're not worth trading up for. And you look at the draft some years, this was a weak quarterback year and two teams traded a decent amount of picks to move up for guys. That, I mean, you compare it to last year, they're not even close to the prospects that Mariota or Winston were. Not at all. Not at all. As far as Wentz goes, yeah, he, he looked pretty, he looked pretty good, but again, they were playing the Cleveland Browns. Uh, yeah. Not too much of an intimidating defense there. We were so bad that people forget how bad Cleveland looked. Wow. Wow. That, that, uh, man, that should be a meme. Yeah. That we were so bad that we forget how bad Cleveland was. Cleveland fans were excited watching that game. They were like, they're not going to be talking about us all week. <laughs> In fact, they, they, we should make that a meme, send that to Les Sneed, and say, hey, this is exactly what the reality is at this point. <laughs> Something needs to change, like, and fast. Do you think if Fisher gets fired, Snead is gone too, or you think they keep him around? I, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm kind of torn at that. Fisher needs to be gone. There, there's just no question. No, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Fisher needs to be gone. But, you know, Snead has made some questionable decisions, this golf trade being one of them. At the same time, he's made some really solid decisions. I mean, he's the guy that brought us, you know, Aaron Donald, Robert Quinn, uh, Todd Gurley. You know, the, he's made some solid choices. But I don't know. Uh, it, it really depends. Uh, I, I think, you know, if we can't get Fisher uh, to, you know, lead this team into a semi-decent standing, there's no way they're going to resign him or Snead, I think. Yeah, I think if the team is 7-9 and nine again, I think Fisher's gone. I think Snead stays. If they're bad, I think they're both gone. And it kind of sucks for Snead because he's made a lot of good moves, like you said, but his legacy is his golf trade. That's what he's going to be known for. He made a great trade getting all those picks for RG3, but he built his legacy on this trade. Yep, no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I'd miss seven and nine bullshit. Oh my god! I know. Hopefully we'll get that. 
hopefully we'll get back to 7 and 9 bullshit. I miss 7 and 9 bullshit already, and it hasn't even happened yet. I think that's a good note to end this on. <laughs> Maybe that was the plan all along. That <laughs> Fisher is like, hey guys, let's play so freaking terrible that they won't notice the 7 and 9 bullshit. Let's make them want to be as mediocre as I am. Oh, God. He actually passed Don Shula for third most losses all time. And I think Don Shula has like 160 more wins. Can I? Can can we have Don Shula? <laughs> I will uh, take John Shula right now. I, I, I want Don – in fact, you know, I would take a lot of people that I, I didn't like. Can we have Steve Spagnuolo back? <laughs> I don't know if I would take Spags back over Fisherman. I, I don't know. I mean, at this point, at least Spags' defense looked at least a little bit, you know, good. I want Mike Marks <laughs> back. <laughs> oh, man. As long as we don't get Linehan. Yeah, yeah, I do not want Linehan back. That's for yeah, sure. We, we do not need Linehan back. Oh, my God. What a mess. Yep, that, that, says, that says it all. Our past coaching staff. Yeah. God. All right. Well. We will be back next week. Hopefully the conversation is a little less gloomy, and hopefully we look decent against the Seattle Seahawks. We'll see you guys then. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.